you guys ever been to Murfreesboro? I personally like Murfreesboro. There's a lot of people who talk shit about it. I like the suburban vibes. And I like that there's still country out there. There's a lot of apartments, though. And also a lot of tobacco stores and, like, laundry places right next to each other. A ton of different strip malls, which I'm not a hater. Look, I get it. People are opening businesses. They're small business owners. Give them a break. Speaking of Murfreesboro, September 16th, Brooks Nielsen is going to be playing at Hop Springs. I'm very excited for this show. This is Brooks' first U.S. solo tour. I'm going to be playing a song here in a second from his debut album called uh, All That You'll See Is Everything. The the album is called One Match Left. But I chose this song because I felt like the lyrics really matched the podcast. Um, At first, I was going to play another song, but I knew after after kind of like getting ready for this episode that it was the perfect match. Um, yeah. So I'm going to shut the fuck up, listen to the song and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Nobody cares about me when I'm down, especially me. So I get right back up. There ain't no use in lying around All that you'll see is everything When it gets quiet, come up for air Don't get upset that no friends are there You are unique, you're not a freak You're not the only one struggling No one comes to your aid Everyone's crazy, you are the same If they're saving, it's up to you. You're worth it. Stop being a fool. Nobody cares about me when I'm down, especially me, so I get right back up. There ain't no use in waiting around. All that you'll see is everything. Grab bottles and pills and pamphlets and hearts. End up back at the start. Shortcuts bleed like long cuts the same Nothing will make it less hard Every human, every woman, every virgin McCoy Bow to your God, universal nod All they were after is joy If you don't back again that was all that you'll see is everything by brooks nielsen and today we have chris montez of tribal drivers thank you so much for joining me pleasure to be here taylor thanks for having me of course so we met a few weeks ago and you were telling me about the nonprofit you started why did you start it that's a great first question um again the name of the nonprofit is tribal drivers Uh, We are a nonprofit program aimed towards creating a bridge between the trucking industry, uh, where I work currently as an insurance underwriter, and with Native American communities. And there's a multitude of reasons that we started Tribal Drivers, but mainly we found, uh, you know, I work in an industry that really desperately needs talent and it needs new talent. And you know, then we have this uh, community where I'm starting this program in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, 
And I see that as an area that could really use and deserves to have economic investment um, jobs. So, uh, you know, long story short, I saw a real opportunity to create a win-win scenario between an industry that's investing heavily into new talent and an underserved area that has has not seen that type of investment flowing into their into their community. Um, and I figured this would be a great kind of a match made in heaven between those two groups. So let's lay out a little bit uh, what Pine Ridge is like. Um, I know when we originally talked, you told me that it is the poorest county in the entire United States with an average median income of $6,000 a year. That's correct. Um, $6,300 per year, less than $6,300 is the average income uh, per person on Pine Ridge. That comes out to about $125 per week. And that $125 is supposed to go towards their food, their transportation, their medical costs, clothing, everything that we need day to day. Those are the types of, uh, of income levels that makes it hard to just meet our minimum needs, let alone invest into ourselves to do things like, you know, go to a four-year college or two-year college um, or to buy a new car or to build a new home. Things that I think a lot of people in America somewhat take for granted because they just have access to these, um, you know, uh, resources that help us to get from one day to the next and furthermore, from one year to the next. Um, the idea being, you know, we we all want to access the American dream. And so when I went out to Pine Ridge and I learned a little bit more about the reservation system, how they're pretty much set up to be their own countries, they're a sovereign land, they don't get all of the same resources that, um, I mean, shoot, the county next door, um, 20 miles away. Uh, you talk about being in Nebraska or Rapid City, which is 90 minutes away. It is a world of difference in that short drive from Pine Ridge to other local cities that are, you know, um, not on reservation. So what I believe is that it's just it's just an area that really the people that are living on the reservation, right? They're living on their what is supposed to be their homeland, their sovereign land. It's completely not completely, but, you know, substantially bereft and empty of those opportunities that people 20 miles away have access to. So um, that for me was a big driver to go help. Well, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, like you think about the plight that the the native Americans have suffered um, and they're just given these little swaths of land and basically say, uh, you know, by the American government, like, yeah, we're sorry about that, but here's this land and you guys can be your own sovereign nation on it. The size of Pine Ridge, it's, it's about the size of the state of Connecticut, right? Yeah, it's actually the size of, um, it's actually the size of two states, uh, Delaware and Rhode Island combined. Okay. It's the eighth largest reservation in the United States. And it's, it's massive, really, um, when you put it into perspective. So it's very large. And, you know, you're right. What I try to focus on is, is the future, right? Because when I went out to Pine Ridge, which I visited multiple times, uh, my sister lives and works out there on Pine Ridge. She's been out there for about eight years. That's another big reason why I got connected with this. Um, it's, it's massive, and you're right in that these lines of this reservation were not drawn by Native Americans. You know, they were drawn by the United States government a long time ago. And once again, I think even if you ask people out on Pine Ridge, what they're more so focused about and what this program is focused about is the future. Yes. Things got to the way they are. Th- those things happened, right? Right. You and I weren't around during those times. I mean, we, at this point in time, the way they are, are the, is just the path that, that the reservation took to get here. And there was a lot of injustice that happened in the past that still contributes to, pro- to problems today. Absolutely. 
But so many people on Pine Ridge and in other um, reservations are committed to improving um, their communities, improving their economies, and you know, making life better for themselves and the future generations. Yeah, well, it's I imagine too grow, growing up in that situation, you don't want the the generational trauma to keep getting passed down. You know what I mean? Like it's generational trauma because because really, how many how many years back is it? You maybe like six generations that the reservation even started to exist. Before that, they just were able to go anywhere. It was before colonizers came in and took over, you know, and I don't know, man, it, it, it is, it was tough to watch because it, of course, with any amount of poverty, there's going to be things like crime, um, a lot of like single mother families, just things of that nature. And you basically started tribal drivers because you're, like you said, you're thinking about the future, trying to get people jobs to where money, unfortunately in this world, solves problems. It doesn't solve all of your problems, but it solves some of your problems. And it sounds like you're trying to kind of be a counterweight to, you know, all the dark and depressing stuff by, Hey, let's get these people having some money. That way they can solve some of these problems. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, the, um, if you look back at the great Sioux nation, um, the Lakota Sioux, and the Oglala Sioux were a branch of the Great Sioux Nation, and they were plain, you know, the, the Great Plains tribes, right? So in their heyday, um, they ran the plains. It was their land. Uh, they rode on, you know, they rode horseback. They had thriving communities. Um, you know, herds of bison were the way that they got by. And it's still something they try to incorporate today is, you know, they'll you know, they'll take a, they'll, they'll, you know, um, hunt a bison and they'll clean it just like they did in their traditional ways, using as much of the animal as possible with as little waste as possible. And essentially when the westward expansion of the United States happened, um, you know, what do settlers do? They cross through their territory. Um, you know, they hunt these bison that, eventually almost became extinct from being overhunted. And so, I mean, bison were the, they're a very sacred animal to them and um, something that they essentially lived off of. And uh, so now you have their main source of food, their hunting, a huge part of their tradition is ran almost extinct. They get into fights with settlers who are crossing through what was their territory at the time. And then they are essentially punished for defending their land. Um, and you're right. Like today is the seventh generation of, uh, of the Oglala Sioux. And so, yeah, you're right. You talk about having some money in your pocket. You and I both know, and so does everyone listen to this podcast, that having some money in your pocket um, takes a tremendous amount of stress away. It makes life better for yourself and for your family, and it reduces the amount of stress that you experience. That's just simple. Everyone knows it's psychology. It's the psychology of money. Yeah. So when you talk about $6,300 average income per person, as a professional class A CDL truck driver, you can be making $65,000 a year in your first year. That's a great career. It's a, it's a very great career. And I'm an insurance underwriter. I find trucking companies and truckers to be admirable. Everyone found out the value of a trucker and of a trucking company during the COVID-19 pandemic. 100%. Absolutely. We couldn't find toilet paper on the shelves. My gosh, did you see the madness that happened when people couldn't get toilet paper? You know, That's when the insanity, I feel like, really first started during covid was when there was a toilet paper shortage. But again, this this is a first world problem. You know what I mean? Because they're like, we have to stock up. It was people, the people that were the problem were the people stocking up on the toilet paper. You know what exactly. I mean? Hoarding it. Yep. 
And uh, I, I thought when I, you know, kind of side note, but one of the hilarious parts about that to me was, you know, people didn't know what to expect with a pandemic. Everyone has to stay inside. And what's the first thing everyone thinks about? Having enough toilet paper, you know? <laughs> I just found that kind of funny. Um, but anyhow, you know, when when people for the first time in the United States walked into grocery stores and didn't see them full, you could look down aisles and they would be empty on either side, depending on what the product was. Now, all of a sudden, trucking companies were vital and truckers were vital. And it had never been felt to that extent before um, because they, you know, generally people feel so secure, they forget about the person who brought it there. 90% of stuff on the shelves is brought there by a truck. Um, another really interesting fact about trucking is that there's currently an 80,000 person driver shortage, which is actually contributing to inflation. And the uh, analogy that I would use when you talk about the raising price of goods versus not enough truck drivers to get them there is Uber. If five people at the airport need a ride and there's five Ubers available, you will generally have an agreeable price. But if there's five people at the airport and one Uber available, you what's called surge pricing. The cost goes up significantly because the demand outweighs the supply. And that's what's happening in the supply chain right now. And it is contributing to inflation. They have the product, if you're talking about something like a grocery store, they have the products to get into the grocery store, but they don't have the truck drivers to get all of the groceries that need to be moved to all of the stores that need the product, which means that eventually, like with everything else, that cost is passed down to the end consumer, us, the buyers. So I thought another really interesting aspect of this was by providing opportunities for class A CDL scholarship, paid stipend while they learn, and job placement after they graduate, you provide that kind of opportunity from, to somebody who's from a community that has 80 to 90% unemployment. And you pair that up with this industry that needs this new talent and is investing so heavily into talent. Um, like I said, I just feel like that's a match made in heaven. And the last thing that I would leave you with for perspective is there's trucking companies offering $10,000 sign-on bonuses to new drivers. And with the tribal drivers program, we were able to get a driver recruited, trained, and now hired. Our first student has actually already graduated with their class A CDL and starts next Monday, August 1st. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, that, that is the true bridge that I want to build, which is bringing investment, facilitating investment into a community that needs it. And the thing that the trucking company loved is someone, this is their belief, and it's my belief too. Someone from that kind of background or community who really wants a chance is probably someone who's not going to waste it. So you can put, instead of a $10,000 sign-on bonus to someone who's already driving a truck or considering CDL, invest $7,400 into someone who really wants a shot. And you could actually end up with a more loyal, harder working driver. Not, you know, not necessarily, I'm not saying that one driver to another is less hardworking, but think about it. That's probably a really driven individual. Absolutely. No, for sure. And one of the things that we, we kind of connected on when we first met as well was I have a background in logistics too. Like I was a freight broker for um, about a year and it, the company I worked for, I didn't like, but I saw the value in the career, right? You know, Cause a lot of these people, they, the truck drivers, they don't have college degrees. There's a lot of immigrants that work the job. Like when I first started, I was surprised how many uh, Indians as well as uh, like Middle Eastern people were doing these jobs. And I think the average like 
American, they turn their nose up at, at a job like trucking. They think they're too, too good for it. You know, there's like a snicker uh, about it. But like really back in the 70s, being a truck driver was considered to be cool. You know, it was considered yeah. to be rebellious and on kind of the cutting edge of society. And um, you look at things like, uh, what is it, Smokey and the Bandit, right? He was a truck right. driver, <laughs> yeah. Reynolds. Um, uh-huh. and, and it kind of romanticized it. But now it's not seen that a lot. And it's like, like that with a lot of blue collar jobs. They're really frowned upon in America now. Um, and I think it's great that you are highlighting kind of the area of need, you know, in Pine Ridge, as well as the area of need in your industry. And you saw an opportunity to kind of bring those together. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know, by the way, I I know plenty of, uh, I'm an insurance underwriter, so I insure a lot of trucking companies. I'll meet with the owners of these companies and the CFOs of the companies, and we'll talk about their drivers. And in Chicago, there's actually a very large uh, Eastern European uh, crowd that yes, yeah, are truck drivers. And man, these guys are cowboys, man. They yeah, are, they are, they are, you know, really punching it, uh, just driving and driving and driving. And a lot of them, they might come from somewhere like uh, you know Poland or Lithuania, Estonia, or Estonia, Uzbekistan. And what they'll do is come to the United States for eight months and just work and work and work and drive. And they will seriously make over $100,000. Yep. Which by the way, I don't know if I can cuss on this show. Yes, you can. It kicks the ass of a ton of salaries uh, for someone who's out of a four-year college. Yeah. You could make a hundred grand as a trucker driving coast to coast, you know, uh, seeing all sorts of places and, you know, the, the wages have risen to such a significant level because you're right. Some people have this kind of scoffing attitude towards truck drivers. And then it's like back to the COVID example. Now then the shelves are empty. Yeah. And now they really, really want a trucker to come pick that stuff up and bring it to them so they can put food on their table. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that dynamic. So what, when was the first thought that you had, I need to do something about this. I feel like I can make a change here. This was all inspired by my sister, Katie Montez. She, uh, made her way out to Pine Ridge reservation about eight or nine years ago through a program called Teach for America. And what that program uh, consists of is, you know, college students who want to get their graduate degree in education go through Teach for America. And through this program, the Teach for America will pay for their master's degree. In return, the students, you know, the, the graduate students have to teach in an underserved community for two years. So, she was more or less assigned Pine Ridge when she applied for Teach for America, went to Billiken University and got her master's in education. And um, so she lived there for about five years before I ever came to visit. And it was back in, I think, 2019, 2020, that I first went out to visit my sister. And I saw Pine Ridge with my own eyes. Um, and it was a couple things that really drove me to want to do something. You and I have kind of already talked about this, that, that, uh, Pine Ridge, by the way, this has been described to me by someone who lives on Pine Ridge, um, is essentially a third world country in our backyard that nobody knows about. And my sister would talk about Pine Ridge when she was back for Thanksgiving or Christmas but she never spoke about it negatively. She said, oh man, I work with these great students and they have such cool families. They got such cool traditions. And I just kind of thought that Pine Ridge was like, you know, some places on the South side of Chicago or in New York, just kind of underserved communities. Uh, What I didn't know is that about a third of homes don't have all functioning utilities, running water, 
electricity, over half don't have internet, uh, that 10 to 12 people are living in two bedroom homes where the kids don't even have a bed to sleep on at night, they'll sleep on the floor, where every single year they have elderly people die in their beds because they don't have heat. Problems that have been solved for so much of America have just been left to exacerbate on Pine Ridge. And when I visited my sister and she told me some of the stories uh, about students and their families and the challenging circumstances that they have to overcome. I mean, with poverty comes substance abuse, especially extreme poverty. Um, and you pair that with generations of this happening, right, of, of the feeling of hopelessness. You could have a kid that would be in her class who's, whose mom and dad are both alcoholics and drug addicts. Don't even pick them up to take them to school. Don't care if they go to school. Might not care about anything. And um, my sister just, you know, it was a two-year program, and here she is eight, nine years later. And she did that because of her heart. Because this was a community that she knew that if I just see this as a way to get my own education and then leave – Am I really living to this value of giving back, helping someone who really, truly needs it? So, you know, back to the whole, you know, when what she described to me versus what I saw. What I realized is that Katie didn't see the bad in the community. She was looking for the good in the community. And, uh, when I went to visit her and I saw these things, um, she was like, you know, Chris, the challenging part about this, you know, she was a biology teacher. By then she ran the science department at Red Cloud Indian School. She said, the challenging part about this is that no matter how much work we put in, how much effort we give, how well we teach them, how well we prepare them, They're, once they graduate from here, they leave the safe zone of the school and they are right back into the cycle, the generational cycle of poverty. Um, and their community has 80 to 90 percent unemployment. And that's not just because people don't want to work. A lot of people do want to work. But there's not industry there. Um the way I describe it to people is, you know, when we were in high school, right, we might go get a job at the grocery store bagging groceries or at the Dairy Queen making cones. Or, you know, what I did, I, I you know, would umpire baseball games or referee a soccer game to go make 20 bucks here or there. There's nothing like that on Pine Ridge. So I realized at that point in time, that my sister deserved and, and the people of Pine Ridge deserved someone who would just try to help. And where they really needed help was after they finished high school, when they needed a job and when they needed somebody to take a chance on them. Because what I was seeing is nobody is, nobody is on the reservation taking chances on people there. They're not, they're not betting on it. And so I just wanted to adopt that same mindset that my sister had and still has and bet on them, bet that they can do something to better their lives and believe that we should just do something good for the sake of doing something good. Because um, that's what my sister does. And that's what I want to do, too. Well, what exactly did you see when you went there that just stuck out to you was there at any moment in particular that you remember where you were just like had kind of your hair blown back and couldn't believe what you were seeing man there were things i saw and also things i heard and some of them are really heavy man you know um 
When you drive through the uh, reservation, you'll see signs up on the side of the road, you know, of essentially young people who committed suicide. And, um, you know, signs will say, don't give up hope. You know, um, if you turn on Keeley Radio, you know, which is the tribal radio station, they play the traditional, you know, drum beat music and, uh, you know, the singing, the ceremonial singing. And then in between, they'll, there'll be someone who's like, you know, I know that we're going through so much tough stuff in our community, but this is something we can do if we all stick together and so on and so forth. There's just this massive, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room of like, don't lose hope. Um, there's, there's um, actually like packs of wild dogs, like stray dogs that run around there. My sister told me about a, a little girl who got, mauled to death by the dogs walking home. Um, you see the homes out there, you know, I, I try not to, to talk too much about like how poor quality it is. You know, I try to save them this, you know, you know, I'm talking about their home, right? No, um, no, but, but look at it this way. I mean, people are listening and I, I really want them to understand what is going on there to spread the word about what you're doing because you're trying to help. There is a reason that you went there. I I think it's all well and good that you, it's noble that you feel that way and you're correct to feel that way. You don't want to exploit anybody, but I think to kind of paint the picture of what is actually happening needs to be done because it's not talked about. It is not talked about in general American culture. You might see, a 10 minute news story on it once a year. If even that no one's really talking about this. What I realized is that this reservation is just land that someone would otherwise maybe not want. You can't grow crops on it. The bedrock is like six inches below the surface of the soil. So there's no agriculture. Um, There's one highway that runs through it, but not many other roads are paved. If you go to someone's house, you are driving literally in the dirt up a, you know, one of these big hills into this back area. You know, a common sight is six or seven cars, five of them broke down, rusted, sitting in someone's front yard. Um, a roof that has a hole in it or holes in it, um, boarded up windows, little kids sitting outside with, um, you know, they probably don't have TV. They yeah. might not have TV. They might not have electricity. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they don't have electricity. It, well, the, the other thing is, too, like anytime you go into uh, a community that's very impoverished, you like you have like extreme like alcoholism, drug addiction, as well as the opportunity for crime. And with what you're doing, and it's not because it's making no judgment of the people, but if you have horrible poverty somewhere, crime is to follow. You know what I mean? Because people are desperate. Like that's the thing I feel like is the disconnect to in in general American politics. It's like poor people like committing crime, not because they want to commit crime. It's because they have no other option to try and provide for their families. Exactly right. Um, There is definitely a alcoholism problem there. There's a drug abuse problem. Um, you know, anything from, you know, meth, meth is a, a problem out there. And it's people just trying to numb themselves from, I mean, think about the kid who has a alcoholic and drug addicted mother and father, or maybe just one parent. I mean, I've met a ton of kids and heard about a ton of kids. Their parents aren't even around. They live with their grandparents. Yeah. And their parents literally abandoned them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think about that kid and that's their circumstances. But we forget is that mom and dad came from a household with alcoholic, drug addicted parents too. parents who didn't take them to school, parents who maybe have been depressed by their own circumstances and felt hopeless. You know, that is the parent of the parents. Yes. 
So that's the cycle. It's and that's the cycle, really, man. That's the super sad part about it is that, you know, how is a kid supposed to get out of, you know, never be convinced they should do drugs or alcohol when that's all they know. Um, when they have, you know, when mental health is never addressed, the trauma is never addressed and their parents never had it addressed and their parents never had it addressed. And so now this kid has so much weight on his or her shoulders um, and they don't even know it because they might not have ever left the reservation. Seriously, many people have never left there. And uh, so they don't know anything different. It's all they know. Um, and you think about how much strength and courage it's got to take to try to go out and do that on your own. You don't, you might not have family support. You definitely have no financial means. You don't have your own car. You don't have guidance. You don't have resources and you're venturing out into a world that you have never experienced before. Or if you have very, very rarely experienced it, it just gives you this feeling of, well, I feel like I should stay where I am because I don't, I don't fit in this outside world. They haven't experienced what I've experienced. Um, and, uh, that, that's kind of the way it goes, you know? And so that's something that the thing is that kid who has all that weight on his or her shoulders, that kid needs and wants some help. Absolutely. You know? So, and they deserve help, you know? Well, it's, uh, it's poetic to what you're doing because, you're probably trying to, to pick, you know, you, you were talking about getting them like straight out of high school and help them have a career in the trucking industry. The most at risk people in the, in any poor community in America are young men, young men, when they are left to their own devices, they just don't know anything yet. And especially if you don't have those parental figures or like a father figure around guiding you, you go to whoever you think would be a good male role model. And of course you think of like, you were talking about the South side of Chicago. You think about something like that. It, they get involved in gangs. You know what I mean? They get involved in gangs. They start doing all sorts of things like, and they get stuck in that cycle. One of the, one of the other things that I kind of saw about um, the reservation is that they have like a, a very small police force in the video that I saw, it was, it was one officer explaining how he had two other officers working with him. And that was the police force at that time on the reservation where all of this poverty is. Which, by the way, that's a great point. Again, we are talking about a piece of land that's the size of uh, Rhode Island and, um, my gosh, Rhode Island and Delaware. Yes. Combined. Yeah. How many police officers do you think are in Rhode Island? How many police officers do you think you're in Delaware? Mm -hmm. Hundreds. There are three to six police officers working this piece of land at a time in a given shift. And they are supposed to be the ones who are taking care of all of these issues, responding to crime. Um, and by the way, there's, you know, a guy named Scott Weston, who's been a real mentor of mine through all of this is a former president of the, um, uh, Ogala Lakota or Ogala Sioux tribe. So he ran, he ran the reservation and he was trying to build relationships with the ATF, with the FBI and local law enforcement because his department needed help. And the idea was like injustice shouldn't survive anywhere. It shouldn't just be unanswered. Um, and I think he made a lot of headway with that initiative, but you're right. You know, these are the kinds of things that they're faced with every day. And it's, I mean, what can they do? Um, how many people live on the reservation? About 20 to 30,000 people. And there's three to six police officers for 20 to 30,000 people at any given time. Yep. I think that I read an article recently that said, and in this article, at the point in time that they had taken it, which I think was just a couple of years ago, there were six total police officers that were on any given show. Um, you know, it's the same thing. There's one hospital on the res. There's one accredited college on the res. Um, they get such a much, much more limited amount of everything. You know, they deserve more. 
we can edit this next part out if you don't want to talk about it, but can you talk a little bit about the person that you sent through like the trucking school and what that kind of was like from basically the beginning to the, the end of them graduating? Sure. So this name, name of this individual is Byron. And um, I should back up a little bit and let you know that the tribal drivers program, one of the starting points of my program is to find a CDL school. In order to become a CDL driver, you have to go to an accredited CDL school. The nearest CDL school is in Rapid City, which is 90 minutes away. So by the way, long-term, my big goal is to build a CDL school on the reservation because it only takes six to eight weeks to complete CDL school. So in six to eight weeks, you can go from making 6,300 a year to 65 grand. That was the beauty of the entire thing is like we needed an immediate option. One of my first ideas was let's do a four-year college scholarship or a two-year college scholarship. They, you know, a lot of people don't have the time or the resources to sit around for two college years. College is a luxury. Years. It's a luxury. What they needed was something more immediate. And in addition to that, a job that was sustainable given the reservations conditions, right? So like if I started a bakery on the res, it'd probably go to business. You don't have enough customers that are paying whatever prices to sustain a bakery. There have been factories that have tried to do manufacturing there that have failed because you need like local money flowing in order to sustain any business. Yes. Beauty of trucking is that you can go make your money driving on the road off the reservation, but return with those earnings to the reservation. So it's this beautiful opportunity to join a high demand workforce and make your money away from home, but bring that money back home so that you can put running water into the home, electricity, food on the table for your family, beds for the kids who have been sleeping on a floor. So back to this point of Byron, we recruited out of the Rapid City area to start with this program. And that's for two reasons. One, logistics. We can't expect someone from Pine Ridge who might not be able to fill up you know, their gas tank or might not have a car to go to class three to five days a week, 90 miles away. That's just creating another barrier for them to do this thing that we think could work. However, what we learned is that there have been a large group of um, Native American people that have left reservations to go look for work in Rapid City because they know there's greater chances for employment there. So when I spoke with like, you know, groups like Oglala Lakota College, the Pine Ridge Chamber of Commerce, um, the uh, Pine Ridge um, superintendent of schools, the veteran service office, Thunder Valley community development. I found that a ton of people knew people in rapid city and they moved there looking for work. So Byron is from rapid city, but grew up on the reservation. He moved to rapid city looking for work. He wanted to make something out of his life. He wanted better for himself. So, um, Byron was actually working at a, uh, phone store, a wireless store, making less than $20,000 a year. Um, and that was, you know, kind of, you know, there was not necessarily a plan for what next. Not, not much career mobility there. Pardon the pun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there, there wasn't, you know, but here's a guy who really wanted to improve himself. Um, didn't have the funds to go to college, was from a native American community and actually, I found this out after the fact, after we started conversations with him, related to Scott Weston, the same guy who's been helping me, you know, to understand their, you know, the biggest thing Scott Weston helped me with was to, un he helped me understand their struggle. He helped me understand the version of me that I needed to be for them. Um, because you have to be, you know, cult culturally sensitive. And I imagine they're not very trusting either of, of outsiders. Not at all. 
Uh, if it weren't for my Katie, if it weren't for my sister, Katie, there's no chance people would have trusted me. Um, I just would have been another, you know, white guy coming onto the reservation with an idea. And they've had a ton of people come with ideas or people that just try to throw money at a problem. But, you know, what I tried to show him was that I was different. I was, I was trying to build a mechanism for them, not for me and not just throwing money at a problem. But, you know, trying to bring investment from this group of people who I thought would invest into them and just find the people who they should invest in. So anyways, he was related to Scott, which was just a bonus for me. Um, and um, anyhow, we kind of did an interview process with him. Uh, he was already considering getting his getting a CDL. So that made it even a better fit. Um, you know. He, he may or may not want me to divulge it, but, you know, he he had to borrow the five hundred dollars from somebody else that you needed just to reserve your spot at Western Dakota Tech. He didn't even have five hundred bucks. Um, the course cost four thousand dollars. So, you know, he would have had enormous difficulty paying for that if the ability to do so at all. So anyhow, we we kind of pre-interviewed Byron and um, this trucking company that we work with, JKC Trucking, they're out of Chicago. Um, Mike Kacharski and Steve Kinlock there have been amazing to help get this program started. Um, the background of, of JKC is it was started by a guy, it was Mike's, Mike's dad, Mike Kacharski's dad, who had come here from Poland. And he didn't have, you know, a dollar to his name when he got here and uh, was, you know, really only spoke Polish, not a ton of English. And here he is now operating a, you know, 250 unit trucking company and a large cold storage warehouse, you know, generating millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. So he was this guy who believed if you're someone who comes from nothing, you want to work hard. Um, so anyways, we pre-interviewed Byron, made sure he would be a good fit introduced them to JKC Trucking, introduced them to my other board member, Bridget Blitch of Blitch Wesley Barrett. She runs a law firm that just works with uh, trucking companies. They focus on transportation. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was vetted. We thought he would be a great fit. And so we paid for his full tuition. We paid him a stipend while he went to school in case he had to forego other opportunities. And now he'll be making at least $65,000 in his first year at JKC. Um, so in, in my eyes, like a real success story. You know, we tripled his income. He grew up on Pine Ridge. He was looking for an opportunity, but didn't have the means to get to the next level. And, you know, I think we helped him get there. What does the future hold for tribal drivers? Like pie in the sky. Like if everything went perfectly, where is it? Five years from now, 10 years from now. Five years from now, we at least have a CDL school on Pine Ridge. There's so many people who, and I mean, think about it. You got to be 21 years old to drive a truck across state lines. You need to be drug and alcohol free. You need to have a clean driving record. If I can build a CDL school on Pine Ridge that covers the tuition of CDL school, and pays the students while they go to school and guarantees them employment making $60,000, $70,000 a year in year one. First of all, I think that'd be amazing for the community because I'm not, I'm not here, I'm not like waving a wand and we're just gonna make all the problems go away, but I'm giving them an, I just wanna give an option that's not there currently. Provide an opportunity that is currently not even in the realm of possibilities for what's going on in Pine Ridge right now. Not even close. Um, it costs $4,500 to get your CDL. If you're making $6,000 a year, it's off the table. It's a deal breaker. Yeah. But think about it. That is also the exact type of person who needs an opportunity where they can make 60 grand in eight weeks, like turn around their life in eight weeks, man, they really need that, but they can't afford it. And they also can't afford to drive 90 miles to Rapid City. Um, so anyways, build a CDL school that's accessible, funded by outside investment, and create a pipeline of driver talent to trucking companies all over the country. 
That is my five-year goal. And by the way, I just want to say side note, this is a theory, but I hope that I might give someone the incentive to stop drinking, to stop doing drugs. Because if that's your, if that's your circumstances and you want to break away from it, you got to, in my mind, that person needs a reason. And I want to help be that reason. So five years, we build the CDL school in Pine Ridge. We have an instructor, multiple classes a year, and we're pumping out 10, 20, 50 students a year, getting them full-time positions as professional truck drivers. 10 years, expand to other reservations. Many reservations face similar problems because they don't have their sovereign countries. So don't forget, it's not just that they're sovereign and they don't have all these governmental resources, it's that even the people who get elected to, to run the, the reservation, they've had to experience the same stuff. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and here you go, now you fix the problem. <laughs> you know, it's like, are we really, you know, that can be such a task. Um, so anyways, uh, I would love to, in the future, expand to other reservations, meet other tribes and learn more about them. I'm really, I've really learned so much, um, about the Oglala Sioux, about Pine Ridge, about their history and their traditions. And I know there's a ton more to learn. I mean, just in South Dakota, there's Lakota, Nakota, Dakota. I was interviewing someone last week who's Cherokee from Oklahoma. Um, so, you know. All the, a lot of reservations face similar problems, and I would love to help establish other CDL programs on other reservations to give people these same opportunities. So yeah, that's that's kind of the pie in the sky, I guess you could say. <laughs> Dude, you are doing something absolutely incredible. I hope it works out amazingly for you. Uh, final couple of notes. Where can people find you at and can they donate money to this cause yeah so um i actually the website is still in the works but if ever anyone listening to this just wanted to reach out and see if they could help to get involved now i am trying to build kind of a movement behind it um i'm working with one of the largest refrigerated carriers in the country right now and we're trying to figure out a way to put five students through in our next class which would be really exciting and then 10 after that I have two emails set up. One is drive, D-R-I-V-E, at tribaldrivers.org. And the second is giving at tribaldrivers.org. Um, so website is still in the works, like I said. Uh, this was our first class to get through. He just graduated last week and is starting his first day at JKC Trucking on Monday. Um, so it's, it's been a wild ride, but I promise that website will be <laughs> up and running soon. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, thank you for having me and appreciate your time.